Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey there, are you ready to elevate your personal brand or company? Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for video content and audience building. Imagine growing your brand organically on social media without the hassle of editing videos for hours. With Viral Growth, it's a breeze. They handle the brainstorming, scripting, and editing while you simply just hit record. And don't worry about your niche. They cater to everyone, from business and marketing to health and wellness. Are you ready to make waves in the social media realm? Visit viralgrowth.io and use code ADWEEK, that's A-D-W-E-E-K, all lowercase, and get 10% off your plan. Welcome to today's episode of Brave Commerce. I'm Rachel Tippograph, the founder and CEO of Micmac. I'm Sarah Hofsetter, president of Profitero. And this is a show that talks about what's relevant in e-commerce for the world's biggest brands. It's time to dispel buzzwords around data. Are you ready? Wait a sec. Let me go tell my next meeting. I'm going to be super late. <laughs> okay, I'll start. First party data. First name, last name, household address, email address, any unique identifier that matches back to an individual. Okay, your turn. Uh, walled garden data. Data found in walled garden platforms like Google, Facebook, Pinterest, Amazon. As an advertiser, you can access these platform data for better ad targeting, but you're at the mercy of the platforms when it comes to accessing and using these data sources. Sarah, third party cookies. Buzzkill. Third-party cookies are trackers that get stored in your web browser. They follow you around the internet and can be accessed over time to serve you ads that are likely to be relevant to your interests. This is uh, quite the topic for 2022, but let's just move on to the final round with a twist. Elimination of third-party cookies. Oy, okay, one of my favorite topics. Web browsers like Safari and Firefox are already blocking third-party cookies by default. In 2022, Chrome will be fully eliminating third-party cookies too. This doesn't mean that Google's gonna stop tracking us. It just means that publishers and advertisers won't have immediate access to all your data anymore. Instead, open web advertising is about to become way more expensive to do the same level of personalization that we can do today. Man, it's gonna get wild. Mm-hmm. While today, data management and data privacy feels like a word game to us, companies like Clorox have teams preparing their organizations to navigate this new world. Let's learn firsthand from Doug Milliken, VP Marketing Transformation at the Clorox Company, how Fortune 1000 brands are addressing data strategy. Hello, Doug. Hi, Rachel. Sarah. Love to have guests from California. We've had lately a lot of East Coast and then in Europe. So thanks for joining us. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. You know, Doug, it's really amazing that you've spent 33 years at Clorox. You just don't really get to meet people who've been so loyal to an organization. What's kept you so engaged at just one company? One of the best pieces of advice ever given to me was when I was in business school and doing all the interviews, you know, looking for a job coming out. And somebody said to me, and I don't even remember who it was, said, you know, when you go to a company and you're, you end the day of interviews, 
you never feel neutral compared to your expectations. You always either feel more excited than when you started in the morning or less excited. And just pay attention to that. And it actually turned out, I really thought about that at the end of every day of interviews. I went to a whole bunch of different companies and there were only two companies where at the end of the day, I was more excited. And Clorox was one of those two. And I think at the end of the day, that's because it was a signal that at least for me, the culture fit was great. And that turns out to be a huge reason that I've stayed at Clorox for a long time. It's just a great culture, really smart, but nice people. So that's, that's one reason. The other reason is that I just always had an amazing and just awesome roles. My work has always been challenging, learning. I probably had three or four different careers within one company. So it's never really actually felt like one company. Uh, the company evolves all the time. My job's always been different and challenging. So between those two things, I've just been engaged every day for 33 years. And so I think I'm a proof that the myth that you can't be at one company for a long time is actually a myth. That's awesome. And I think it speaks a little bit to the job you have right now, VP of Marketing Transformation. Mm -hmm. I mean, standing still is going backwards under any circumstances, but it is your Mm -hmm. job, I guess, to make sure that you continue to transform for the better. So in this job itself, there must be that. Yeah, but the job is fundamentally about how do we continue to transform and evolve our brand building capability and the function to stay ahead of, you know, what's next? What's the next thing we need to transform to? And so we are our mission as a group within the company, within the function is to to drive the big bets that we think are going to transform the organization over a multi-year period. And we really just kind of focus on one or most very small number of kind of big bets at a time. What's a big bet that's going on right now? One that you can share, of course, obviously the big secrets will have to remain secrets. No, they're not secret. They're things a lot of people are working on. You know, we're a very established industry, consumer products. Clorox is a very established company, been around 110 or so years. So it's sort of easy to think we could always, that we'll just, you know, we'll just always be around. And actually, you know, of course, that's not the case. Industries and companies are coming and going all of the time. And I think we feel like there's like an, you know, we're at an existential crossroads, even in the CPG industry, in terms of being able to be relevant to consumers and to, you know, to to hold our place. What's behind what we're trying to do is we're trying to be, kind of the first truly modern CPG company is kind of how we think of it, meaning centered on purpose, people delivering relevant experiences powered by data and technology. When we break it down, the bet we've made, the BHAG, I guess you might say, is our goal within five years is to be able to personalize every consumer interaction we have, because that's what consumers want. That's what a modern CPG company would be doing. And that represents a, an enormous change to the model of a company like us. So the bet we're making is we retool the entire function and all the functions around us in order to be able to be truly this idea that a lot of people are chasing of personalization at, at scale. So, but it's it's a lot of time, attention, resources behind that bet. When you and I were talking recently, you said that the goal was 100 million known users. Mm-hmm. 
And I just love that as a rallying cry for the organization. Yeah. How do you get a hundred million people to hand over their data to Clorox? So just to sort of put that in context a little bit, we've basically said, you know, okay, if we want to personalize every consumer interaction, there's three things we're going to have to be able to do. We're going to we're going to have to know more people. We're going to have to have more content, and we're going to have to be able to orchestrate experiences, meaning the people plus the content across an experience. So as it relates to knowing more people and knowing more about them, we set this, this other goal that you mentioned. We said, let's just pick kind of a shocking number for a company like us, which would be let's get 100 million known consumers into our a proprietary Clorox database so that then really at scale, we would be able to, to be able to personalize to them. Across our brands, we have you know 20 or so brands all around the world. The obvious thing, the obvious way that we're most successful doing that is when we have a highly relevant value exchange for people. And on most brands, you can find that if you, you know, kind of put your mind to it. So for instance, we found on Hidden Valley, one of our brands, personalizing recipes is a really super relevant value exchange for people. And that works. On Clorox, we have a flu tracking application, highly relevant to people. Fresh Step, we have a loyalty program that's a cat litter, and you can get points, but you can also take your points and donate them to a local shelter. So using your, you know, your purchases to, to help your local shelter, hugely relevant. So on every brand, if we're able to find that value exchange that people will then give us in exchange for a little bit of their information and to, to interact with us, that seems to work the best. I mean, we do paid acquisition campaigns like a lot of people do. And, and those, you know, you can get a lot of consumers in if you give them some kind of incentive. They don't tend to be as engaged over time. But those are the things. So we're slowly, we've got a ways to go, but we've essentially broken down the 100 million into every year, every brand. So we've got a by brand by year goal. And then we put money aside and we put programs aside and we just chip away at it. That's really fascinating. You think about that because like you said, you're tailoring the value exchange for what matters to the consumer of each one of those brands or, or within the category. For Burt's Bees, I'd like for you to know when I'm running low so I can have like my Amazon dash button of that. So just in case you're looking for a new marketing transformation initiative. So yeah, I'll take that. But like, how do you reconcile some of that with the retailers you have to work with? How do they react to that? I mean, they realize that you want the first party data, but at the same time, you could potentially be cannibalizing the sales they have otherwise. Like, how do you reconcile that, I guess? Yeah, well, for us, for the most part, we don't, we don't have a lot of direct uh, personally within our brands, direct to consumer e-commerce. Some of our brands do and sell direct. But you know, generally, I think when we have that first party data, it's better for everybody because we're able to have better insights to target people better and to deliver better content for them. So even if we're working with a retailer, for instance, if we're working with you know one of the the retailers online platforms, say we can use our first party data to find a lookalike audience who might be more likely a target.com buyer, for instance. So we can use our first party data to find lookalikes that we can then use to advertise in the platform of, of a retailer 
the insights that will let us better target or, you know, figure out the path to purchase for a particular segment. So I think in general, the data and personalization, the better we're able to do that, I think it helps everybody. Couldn't agree with you more. Better targeting, more qualified traffic for retailers. Yeah. We prescribe to that thinking at Micmac. Now, Doug, data has become a little bit of a scary word Mm -hmm. because folks hear data, they then think data privacy. Mm -hmm. It's getting stricter in the US and abroad. Mm -hmm. How are things like CCPA and GDPR going to impact your goal of 100 million known users? Well, I guess, first of all, we're, we're big privacy fans. You know, this is our data, meaning you and I's data. So the data controls that some of these uh, laws like CCPA put in place where we think it's, it's good for everybody. For us, I think at the end of the day, what it's done is it's just made the goal more urgent because as the, as the privacy laws make third-party data less attractive, probably, it just makes it more important that we all have our own first-party data that's well-augmented data. So it's added urgency to what we're doing. And the main thing we need to do is to be set up to respond to what the consumer's requests are around their data. So if they call us and they want to understand what data we have, if they want to delete it, all these things that are required under CCPA, we have to be able to respond to that within the time frame and the other parameters of of the laws. So really what it's practically required is more, you know, sort of the back-end process of how do we make sure we fulfill, make sure our privacy policies, you know, work. But the actual continuing on the work of finding the right value exchanges and, and interacting with our consumers, you know, that kind of continues on. I think it it does increase the, I think, not only the urgency, but the importance of engaging those users. Because once we have somebody into one of our programs, it's actually really hard to keep them engaged, particularly on our kind of brands. So I think the next frontier, at least for us, is not only how we attract people, but how do we build experiences over time that keep them active with us? That, that I think is the next frontier. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense, especially, you know, there are certain products of yours within the portfolio that have tremendous equity, obviously, but people sleep shop. So being able to make sure that you're marrying the experiences along with the importance of staying brand loyal certainly plays a critical part in all this. And people feel that that loyalty, I guess, during the pandemic, brand loyalty on the one hand is going out the door because people just want to grab whatever they can find. On the other hand, Northwestern just put out a study that said that people really want to stick with brands that they know and trust. And if they can't find it somewhere, they're going to hunt it down until they get it. How are you seeing that play out? That's what we're seeing play out. We're seeing on our brands. Now, we're really fortunate. Almost our whole portfolio, which is pretty diverse, is growing. Almost all our brands are really helping people in the stay-at-home situation. Even if it's Hidden Valley or Kingsford, people staying at home and eating at home is helping those categories. Cat litter, people are getting more pets when they're home. Certainly our cleaning brands 
Brita water filtration systems, you know, the recession is making people a little bit more cost conscious and using a water filter system like Brita is quite a bit cheaper than buying bottled water. Plus you don't have to go to the store as often. That's me and Brita. The convenience factor is fab. The sustainability factor is fab. Not that I'm here to be your spokesperson, but I've been a Brita loyalist for forever. And people are like, I I feel like I convert people when they come to my house. I mean, nobody comes to my house anymore. Yeah. But yeah, no, well, that's great. And now that's exactly kind of the need that Brita fills right now. So our, our household penetration on most of our brands is up, but also our repeat rates, our retention of consumers is up, as you were mentioning, maybe in that Northwestern study. And I think it has a lot to do with the overtime, you know, brand equity, at least just speaking for us, that's what's driven it because people trust the, the extreme for us, of course, are our Clorox disinfecting products and people want to trust that the product that they're going to use is going to really work. And so the repeat rate of that is really up. But on these other brands as well, that feeling the importance of trust and consistency. And I know that brain that has just gone up in the, t- in the anxious times that we're in. So we're generally seeing increased retention rates. And that has, I think in a way, it sort of paid off the whole concept behind brand building that over time, brand building works, you know, things like advertising works. And so actually, even though we're having a lot of supply problems, and we don't have a big demand problem at the moment, we're, you know, our our categories are in a lot of demand. um, Our advertising budgets are up, um, like, almost 15% this year because we're continuing it's just clear building a brand works and this is the classic like case study of brand building working it's amazing because if you look at you know 2008 to 2011 all these brands were you know kind of hiding under the table and saying i guess i better pull back now and they lost a lot of brand equity private label started really encroaching. And I was at CVS a few weeks ago and I saw a whole shelf of non-Clorox wipes, mm-hmm. brands I had never heard of, and they were still on the shelf. And so them still still being on the shelf, I think is representative of the fact that brand building is still necessary and the brands that are doubling down now are going to win. In my Amazon Fresh delivery this morning, I got wipes. Yep. No, that's great. Available in Long Island. (laughs) Actually, there were limited quantities, so they only let me get one, but I'll take it. (laughs) Well, Doug, we now get to ask you our most favorite question. What is the bravest thing that you've ever done? Well, the one that comes to my mind that's related to work is um, basically uh, pulling myself earlier in my career, pulling myself off of the traditional career track and basically making up a career on my own. So I, I started at Clorox in traditional brand management and I did that for six or seven years and, and I liked it. Okay. But, you know, it was sort of up and down and I was trying to think of like, what's, you know, what, what's sort of going on with that. And when I really step back to think about it and think about the career trajectory of in brand management, it's typically in a company like ours, the path to general management, Um, you know, being a general manager of a business unit or a division, that sort of thing. And I realized seven years into it, I didn't want to do that because 
the people above me did less of what I liked to do and more of what I didn't like to do. And I realized, oh my God, I've spent all this time <laughs> and I'm doing the wrong thing. So I decided, which was highly unusual at the time, um, I went to my boss and said, I think I want off of this. And I had a very vague idea of something else I might do that didn't exist. And there was no organization for me to be part of. And it was kind of this idea of trying to transform how we did marketing and brand building across all of our business units and kind of stepping back and thinking about the the art and science of marketing and how should we be innovating it. And I was very fortunate that my boss said, hmm, okay, why don't you write a job description? And and I did that. And that uh, really turned into 20 years of sort of making up my own job on almost a yearly basis. So, you know, no path, nobody could tell me what the next job was. There was no next job. There was no next role to get promoted into. It's funny because I think people around me thought this was highly risky because I was taking myself off the sort of golden goose career track of brand management into literally nothing. I mean, it was just nothing. There was no anything to nobody could point me to anything. And people thought that was really risky. The funny thing about it for me, though, was in a way at the time, it didn't feel that risky because I realized I was doing something that wasn't the right thing for me. And I was going to somehow craft a role that was a better just fit for who I am and what I was good at. But for sure, looking back on it, it was like, whoa, what was I thinking? Because that could have really gone. That could have really gone south. <laughs> I'm glad it didn't go south. I think it's incredible that you've spent 33 years at the Clorox company. Not only does it speak about your loyalty, but also the strength of that culture. And Doug, thank you so much for spending some time with Sarah and I today. Sure. Thank you so much for doing this. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for listening. Please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Spotify and Google Podcasts. And don't forget to share this link with a friend. Hey there, podcast fam. Are you ready to break free from the social media rut? Hold on to your hatch because we've got just the thing for you. Meet Viral Growth, your one-stop shop for leveling up your online presence. Whether you're a personal brand or a company, they've got the tools and know-how to take you to the next level. With Viral Growth, forget about those endless hours of video editing. They handle everything from brainstorming to polishing your content so you can just focus on being awesome. And guess what? We're hooking you up with a sweet deal. Use code ADWEEK for 10% off when you sign up. Ready to take your social media game to the next level? Head on over to viralgrowth.io and let's turn those digital dreams into a reality. Hi, I'm Jackie Cooper, Global Chief Brand Officer at Edelman and the host of Touch of True, a new podcast launching on the Adweek Podcast Network. My dad gave me this incredibly smart piece of advice. Meet everyone once. As a result, I've met some of the most fascinating and inspiring people on the planet. Now on Touch of Truth, we're coming center stage and sharing the mic to experience stories of truth, insights and visions for the future that will challenge your way of thinking touch of truth is available wherever you listen to podcasts new episodes come out every tuesday i do hope to see you there